Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, a place to talk about solutions to the world's problems. We're all connected globally, and the problems facing planet Earth are also interconnected. Climate change, poverty, old diseases, and new plagues. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sized insights into ways to help. In this episode, we're chatting with Dr. Judy O'Bell, Executive Director of the Grandmother Project, Change Through Culture. Judy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. So much of global health has been led by people from one culture telling people in another place what to do and how to do it. This not only sounds wrong, Dr. O'Bell has done research to show that paying attention to local culture pays off. And one great way to make that work is by making use of grandma power. Grandmothers have the knowledge, the motivation, and the connections to take care of their communities. Judy, can you tell us a bit more about the project and how it came about? The inspiration for for Grandmother Project, creating Grandmother Project, really came from my many years of, of working in community health programs with different organizations, realizing that they were not really building on cultural roles and, and values and resources. I was involved with doing many evaluations of such of community health programs, which invariably were focused on women of reproductive age, uh, concerns related to maternal and child health and nutrition, newborns, etc., and leaving out very important culturally designated actors, as we see them, who are the the grandmothers. And this is really the case across the non-Western world, across the majority world. In other words, across, I believe, Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Pacific, and indigenous cultures in North America, Australia, and New Zealand. Within families and communities, I think across the non-Western world, grandmothers are viewed by families as advisors, supervisors of young women, and advisors of young fathers and men. And so for all issues related to the health and well-being of women and children and also of adolescents, of adolescent girls, they are looked to for their advice and their experience in promoting the well-being of their families. There's a lot of discussion about empowerment of young women, but it seems that in those discussions, we always leave out the power and influence of, uh, of the senior women or the grandmothers. And so our approach really is about further strengthening, empowering the grandmothers, improving their knowledge and increasing their confidence so that in the roles that they are already playing in families and communities, they can be even more effective than they were in the past. Judy, tell us about some of the grandmothers you encountered. The earliest work that I was involved with with grandmothers actually was in Laos in in Asia. And I remember on one occasion, I was working with the Institute of Maternal and Child Health there on helping them develop a health education strategy with grandmothers. And I remember at one point, one of the grandmothers was talking about how uh, she was interested in acquiring new information regarding maternal and child health. And again, I said to her, but there's this assumption that elders will never change their ways of thinking. And interesting, she said, no, it's not true. She said, it's like the piece of bamboo. The old bamboo is very rigid. 
But if you put it over fire, as like when rotan furniture is being made, if you bend it slowly, slowly, it can bend. And so she said, certainly if you only come once or twice to to discuss with us, to share new ideas, that won't be sufficient. But if you come often, slowly, slowly, I'm sure that we can be open to new ideas. And this has been our experience in various different contexts and and cultures that grandmothers, as I said, are committed to promoting the well-being of women, children, adolescents, and they're using the knowledge that they have when the approach is based on respect and dialogue, and when their knowledge is increased consistently, we have found that they are open to thinking about how they can combine the new ideas with the older ones. So Judy, how do international organizations leave grandmothers out of the question? They are left out, and I'm sorry to say it's not only by the international organizations, also national ministries of health. There's maybe only one or two examples where national ministries or or international organizations explicitly involve uh, grandmothers and view them as important resources for change. We often refer to the to the grandmothers as an invisible but powerful resource for community health programs. I think internationally in programs across sectors, there's very much a, a bias towards youth, ageist attitudes towards elders. And in fact, from a perspective of trying to bring about systemic change within families and communities, when there's an inordinate focus on youth, empowering youth to promote those changes while leaving out the elders actually creates tension and conflict within families and within communities. Judy, you said that health experts see local cultures as negative. Yeah, many cultures, for example, with pregnant women, many cultures believe that in order to facilitate delivery, women should eat less so that the fetus will be smaller and the delivery will be easier. And so public health programs are focused on these negative attitudes and beliefs, but at the same time, do not look at the positive roles and influence that exists within communities that can be mobilized to promote change in such practices. I think it's, uh, I mean, we talk often about a, the need for an assets-based approach that rather than a deficits-based that not only sees the problems, but also sees the resources. I mean, in our case, I think the grandmothers, we really view them as a, an abundant and underutilized resource for promoting positive change in communities related to various uh, issues related to the health and well-being of women, children, and adolescents. Resources? The assets-based approach is that grandmothers play a critical central role with pregnant women. And so therefore, they constitute a resource. And we should view them initially, primarily, we should view them as a resource aimed to strengthen their knowledge, but build on the role that they are playing rather than viewing them as a an obstacle, which is too often the case. So what's an example of how grandmothers can change their minds. 
the case of, for example, a major killer of young children is diarrheal disease. And a widespread belief across many indigenous cultures is that during diarrhea, uh, fluids should be decreased or eliminated. It's the grandmothers who pass on that advice. But when grandmothers are respected, listened to, and in a respectful way, when new information is shared with them, we have found in all cases that they are open to listening to new ideas. And also the, the, the proposition in our work has always been to encourage them to combine, to see how they can combine traditional ideas with new ideas, rather than um, blaming them or accusing them of, 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 of bad practices that should be eliminated. Just psychologically, it's very important. There's so much interest and discussion nowadays in the need for innovation in strategies to promote improved health and well-being. The connotation associated with innovation is often that it's that it involves technologies and that it's something entirely new and different. I think one of the ideas that that we have is that using grandmothers involves innovation through tradition, which seems contradictory, but in fact, uh, this is what we have found. This has played out in our work that um, involving grandmothers is an innovation and can lead to change in spite of uh, conventional thinking that tradition means resistance to change. It sounds almost like the international approach to aid ends up pitting one generation against the other. The non-Western world is, according to, to some estimates, constitutes 88% of the of the world's um, uh, population, uh, where uh, the extended family, uh, the influence of the extended family is still very much in place, uh, i.e. where uh, different generations, uh, not only biological parents and their children, but also elders are involved in the day-to-day development and and support to, to women and children. And so um, uh, one does not see in the, in the models, the frameworks, the, the guides being produced by, by these organizations that there's serious consideration at all of culture. And often when, when culture is mentioned, it's referred to in a negative light, referred to as a constraint, a barrier, or an, or an obstacle. Um, not reflecting uh, the the structure and dynamics of families and communities in the majority world. In our work, a key strategy is an intergenerational one, so that indeed there's concern about many issues affecting affecting young people, and indeed involving young people, but along with adults and and elders in order to create, in order to catalyze dialogue across the generations and to bring about intergenerational consensus for change. 
rather than only focusing on one segment of the population, namely young people. If we take the example of female genital mutilation, maybe the most blatant example of how the family and community actors, i.e. the grandmothers, who are responsible for transmitting this, the family and community actors who are responsible for perpetuating this very harmful tradition, are almost never involved in programs and viewed as an obstacle, community programs developed by international and and local organizations try to go around the grandmothers, focus on young women and girls, leaving out the grandmothers, I think in many cases increasing their resistance to change rather than explicitly involving them in dialogue in order to promote change. The only way that a a deeply ingrained traditional practice like female genital mutilation and cutting will be abandoned is if the grandmothers, if there's consensus among the grandmothers that it needs to be abandoned. So I think, you know, it's totally just the importance of a, a more of a, of a systemic approach involving all of those who influence either directly or indirectly this issue or, or other issues such as child marriage or the preference for boys' education over that of of girls, Um, the importance of developing programs based on an in-depth understanding of community roles, power, and dynamics. Judy, thanks for chatting with us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Listeners can share this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, by email, Twitter, or your favorite social media platform. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at O-W-O-H. That's O-W-O-H at OneHealthTrust.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshminarayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust One Word for updates on One World One Health and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.